This episode of Upstream in Perspective is brought to you by IHS Markets Upstream Insight. Our team of industry experts analyze the interplay of geopolitical structures, government priorities, corporate strategies, and global markets and technologies to deliver forward-looking solutions that lead to more informed and efficient decisions. These solutions are available via recurring reports, interactive analytics, robust data sets, and bespoke engagements with experts. Learn more about our offerings at www.ihsmarket.com energy. Welcome to today's podcast. I'm your host for Upstream and Perspective, Jessica Nelson. I want to thank Brandon Savisky from our Upstream Costs and Technology team for joining me today. Uh, let's talk a little bit about the state of the profit market and preview what might be ahead. Well, thank you for uh, having me, Jessica. I'm looking forward to it. So in spite of the robust drilling activity in the U.S. and a tendency for operators to increase profit per lateral foot and well completions, um, the U.S. profit market spent much of 2018 in a state of oversupply. In fact, I think I read that you guys said this is an interesting and challenging landscape. So how do you explain the imbalance? Uh, that's a great question, Jessica, and a popular one as well. It is complicated and challenging. So uh, as complicated of a market that it may have seen and still seems, it actually boils down to the basic fundamentals of supply and demand. And to offer some background, ever since the downturn in late 2014 and through the bottom in 2016, now riding a state of recovery a bit into and through 27 and into 2018, the market not only continued to grow almost exponentially year over year in 2016, 2017, 2018, but it also set a course to cut costs and optimize op- op- operations, all toward maximizing capital efficiency. So with that in mind, and particularly looking at cutting costs, operators begin focusing on optimizing operations, which in turn often increase completion design intensities. When you, by that I mean adding a lot more profit and typically a lot more water as well. So while at the same time operators began to focus on reducing costs around every corner, wherever it made sense, of course, they continued to look for low price alternatives at any corner, like I mentioned. One of the major drivers of the oversupply predicament was when they started looking for these alternatives and the hunt for low-cost profit alternatives. So this is where the Permian Basin regional supply oversupply began to take center stage as operators began to utilize and initiate tests as to whether or not the cost trade-off of the lower quality yet closer proximity in respect to the Permian versus their traditional premium northern white sand, which is located in the north, would result in hopefully similar or better well performance and most of all greater MPV, and all the while boosting capital efficiency. So with this strategic shift, especially in the Permian, which has been the leading play and still is, it didn't take long for sand suppliers and other capital investors to notice this supply opportunity and to quickly act. In fact, from the fourth quarter in 2017 to the second half of 2018, we saw a demand increase of about 48% uh, of sand 
and that actually led to a six-fold increase in sand supply for the same period. So that equates to about a 498% increase in local sand supply for a 48% increase in demand. So that's quite overstripped. So these actions led to a rapid spur of sand profit greenfield development, as well as many upgraded brownfield projects, and a race for strategic locations scattered across fast west Texas, with a high value placed on location among the acreage positions that many operators had in general. So I mentioned location because it's another interesting topic as uh, we estimated that roughly about 60-65% of the cost of profit itself is made up of purely logistics. The location and proximity of the local regional supply was a huge factor and therefore you can see why location is so valuable. So bringing it all together, it was a perfect storm of operators' acceptance of the lower quality sand as a substitute for northern white and the vast amount of capital waiting on the sideline for an opportunity like this to be presented. So in turn, this produced a large glut of supply that operators required. But however, at the same time, the second half of 2018, a timeliness uh, issue became the problem that was the final piece of the supply glut, which the sand supply continued but EMP operations began to slow down due to capacity constraints, and that resulted in what we are currently waiting through, which is uh, the oversupply in sand. Well, speaking of supply and demand, I know uh, late 2018, um, you guys said you expect to see a slight decrease in demand in the first part of 2019 with potentially an aggressive recovery by the end of the year. Um, how does that look to you now? I know you made that little bit of a prediction at the end of the year, and we're, we're a few months in now. So so what do you think of that prediction at this point? That's absolutely correct. Uh, as I briefly touched on the capacity issue, we are anticipating an aggressive recovery in the back end of the year, and that is tied to uh, the relinquishment the relinquishment of capacity to help the operators uh, take away issues. So we absolutely have seen a moderation in activity coming out of 18 and leading into the first half of 2019 in these first two months. Uh, it has been by design and according to the plan from the operators, yet it has been much to the dismay of many oil field service companies and suppliers that supply the operators. But as you mentioned, we projected the moderation dating back to the second half of 2018, so it shouldn't come as too much of a surprise to many of those who may have been informed or appropriately planned. But with that said, this particular moderation has manifested itself in a 1.5% decrease heading out of 2018 from the third quarter of 2018 to year-end 2018 and continued at a 2.2% decrease from that same third quarter through what we imagine, what we expect at the end of 2019. In both profit and sand, total profit and sand, I should say. So our prediction absolutely demonstrated what, uh, what you mentioned, the moderate decline of profit activity and uh, has unfortunately had a larger impact on oil field service companies 
and oil field equipment product suppliers who may have been caught off guard or a bit ill-prepared. Sure. Let's talk about that because the oversupply would appear to be good news for operators trying to keep their uh, operations within cash flows. Um, but I assume this could be mean that they're fighting harder for market share. So so what is the impact on the oil field services sector? Right. Yeah. yeah well, once again, you have your finger on the pulse. So, yes, it has been quite the tough road for the oil field services sector, as well as the province suppliers and many other oil field equipment suppliers. As both the outstrip demand and moderated activity were at the forefront of the year-end earnings call for nearly all oil field services companies with a steadfast focus on a few critical themes that I'd like to point out. One of them was generating free cash flow. They still have a focus on that, and that's for a number of reasons, like managing leverage and liquidity as well as trying to retain shareholder confidence. And they do that through share, share repurchases or dividends. Uh, another key aspect is flexibility. So flexibility of these profit suppliers and fan producers, uh, production mix, mix at the mine or the facility and their ability to right size production. They don't want to oversupply or overproduce uh, and waste uh, expenses at the uh, facilities. Or they even begin to show their flexibility to shift production completely from one plant to another to utilize the most efficient plant possible. And then one final theme I picked up on was, uh, and it's similar to flexibility, was really just optimizing the logistics solution supply chain network that a lot of these facilities and uh, plants operate with. So all of these strategic focal points are driven by the efforts to improve return on capital invested within the oil field services segment and has also allowed for opportunities for both EMP companies as well as service companies. But just as we've seen in a number of strategic uh, contractual partnerships across the industry. Uh, for example, one I'd like to point out is uh, what we saw with Pioneer Resources earlier in the year. Uh, they chose to divest their own vertically integrated stand sources in South Texas to set a precedent with a 15-year agreement with U.S. Silica to provide frac sand from one of their West Texas mines because the economics simply worked out better. In return, U.S. Silica guaranteed, received guaranteed utilization and stability. Uh, and again, Pioneer received uh, great economics uh, along the way. So what we've inevitably seen in the relationship between operators and service companies are swaps of price concessions for guaranteed utilization and stable cash flows. And you mentioned the Permian, and I know, you know, a majority of the activity is concentrated within the Permian, but are these market conditions consistent across all plays, or are there pockets of tightness anywhere outside of the Permian? Yeah, great, great follow-up question. Uh, and for the most part, yes, uh, the market conditions are essentially the same, but 
there are a few uh, a few differentiators uh, up in the north as those essentially utilize northern white sands. So the basin that plays in the northern part of U.S. and in Canada are largely consumers of premium northern white sands still, and that would be basically because they haven't uh, produced any local sand mines up there. They don't have the same. They haven't found any of the sand formations to economically uh, utilize them yet. Uh, and even though they have not seen the same magnitude of deflation to hit northern white sand, even though northern white sand has dropped, there's still plenty of supply with some frac sand providers scaling down and even shutting down some operations to adjust for the short-term depression and glut that has come from the regional sand supply. So these companies are extremely focused. The companies, I mean, are the producers of North, Northern White Sand are extremely focused on optimizing and right-sizing their production, just as I mentioned earlier, as well as utilizing their plants with the best logistics and solutions available at present, as I mentioned earlier as well. So for example, I'm going to use High Crush again as an illustration. They entered into another strategic partnership to support CNX and the Marcellus and Utica in late January. And in order to optimize their supply chain of production operations, they idled one plant that was currently running while resuming operations at a previously idled plant that had much better logistics access directly located on a tier one rail provider system. So it was more economical to sh completely shift the production at an idle plant uh, and idle another plant to service this longer term partnership that they had just entered into. So the tightness exists in both regional sand markets uh, and the northern white markets as they focus on survival through strategic caution initiatives and looking for that return on capital. Uh, it just may not be as drastic in Northern White uh, territory. Yeah, I guess that goes back to your point on proximity. So I, I hear that loud and clear. <laughs> yeah, definitely is. But it's, it's almost like the uh, real estate uh the real estate saying when they say location, location, location. Right, right. Uh, so let's look out three to six months. Uh, what are the big things that, that we should be watching in the industry and what will you be watching? <laughs> and are there any known yeah. risks that, that could add volatility to the market? Yeah, that's uh, that's another popular one and, and, and everybody always likes to bring out their magic eight ball. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to I'm going to try to shake mine and see what happens. Uh, <laughs> okay. What I'm going to what I'm going to what I'm going to keep an eye on, though, is uh, I'm going to keep a sharp sharp eye on on these oil field services companies' balance sheet health and how well they manage their leverage. So some specific metrics I'm going to keep an eye on is the free cash flow, as is a key word right now, but what I'm mainly going to look at is the free cash flow to cover short-term interest payments and leverage op obligations that are outlined in their debt covenants. Uh, this is going to 
if they don't have enough of this free cash flow for that specific reason, for those specific reasons, it's going to provide a large amount of risk to default. So a lot of uh, obligations in their debt covenants are maintenance uh, of leverage ratios, uh, like liquidity ratios, coverage ratios. So I'm going to be keeping an eye on that, uh, make sure that a lot of these companies are uh, managing their debt properly. Managing their debt properly, I should say. And another item I'll, I'll be looking for, and somewhat tied to that, will be consolidation. Uh, you see some of these companies struggle. Uh, I expect a few M&A transactions to materialize over the next six months, uh, or at least by the year's end. Uh, in both the sand and the pressure pumping landscape. Uh, I think my last item I'd say would probably be a shift of operators to begin to start refocusing on long-term EURs. Uh, we saw in 2018 a large focus on giant impressive IPs and kind of putting EURs on the back burner. But now I think when a lot of these companies are starting to get more into full field development, I think they're going to focus more on EURs in their wells. And uh, they're also going to implement more technology-based goods and services versus what we've seen in the past couple of years. That's about all I've got in my Magic 8-Ball right now. Perfect. Well, we'll check in with you in a few months and see if uh, if anything new pops along or, or not. Definitely. Brandon, thank you so much for joining the podcast today. I really appreciate it. I, I thank you for uh, having me and allowing me to uh, join in on the conversation. I hope you enjoyed today's podcast. To read additional insights from our team of experts, visit our blog at www.ihsmarket.com slash energy blog. Also, if you haven't checked us out on social media, please search for IHS Market Energy on either Twitter or LinkedIn. This podcast contains information and insights copyrighted by IHS Market. To learn more about IHS Market Energy Solutions, visit ihsmarket.com energy. That's ihsmarkit.com forward slash energy.